everybody, this is the podcast about books we read. And today, Regan Schrock and I are together in the studio, and we will be talking about books that we have been reading. Um, in a minute, I will talk about Joshua Harris's I Kiss Dating Goodbye, but first, Regan has a book to speak with us about. So, Regan, what is that in your lap? <laughs> uh, this is a, is a unique book. I, In case you haven't been listening to the last few episodes, um, I prefer memoirs and biographies like real life stories that happen to people especially people who lived through extreme circumstances the book i have is by jerry van dyke it's called captive written in 2010 um the reason this one fascinated me i just found it at a a thrift store actually for 50 cents or something um he was a freelance reporter or is a freelance reporter and he grew up in the conservative brethren groups, like the, um, I'm not sure exactly, he doesn't say exactly which group, I think it was like River Brethren or something, out on the West Coast. And obviously he has the German background and things. So he grew up in a, in a worldview that we could actually identify with since we would say we're conservative, Anabaptist, Mennonite, something like that. Um, he would have gotten that whole thing of, total separation from the world and very very strict upbringing and the long beards and the straight cut suits and everything and then he he doesn't say what he is today so i'm not sure if he's still a believer or not um but that's kind of the premise of how it starts and he leaves as a young man and goes to afghanistan of all places in the 1970s and 80s i think it was um he was there for a while just basically took a car from Uh, from the European continent, drove all the way to Afghanistan, to the capital, which is totally bizarre. And while he was there, he made a big network with the Mujahideen, which is the rebel groups that were fighting the Russian invasion at the time. And it was this big war and guerrilla warfare. U.S. was backing him at that point. So he actually wrote a book about it and became kind of famous. And then in 2008, he decides he's going to return. And he calls up some of his old Mujahideen buddies that live in, in Afghanistan Let's maybe just uh, just hold off while Jaren's phone is ringing in the studio. Hold on, everybody. Hello, this is Jaren. <laughs> we just so got to keep this in. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Was huh. it your girlfriend? Somebody hung up on me. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> so anyway, he goes back to Afghanistan because I forget, it was a new, I think New York Times or something, wanted him to do a piece on it because that was right when the Afghanistan war between the rebel groups in America was, was really strong and, and everything. And so he goes back as a freelance journalist, basically calls up his old contacts, finds them again. And now it's very interesting because these rebel groups that the U.S. had backed originally are now what we would consider terrorist groups like Taliban and, and such like. So these guys that he had known back then were definitely what we would call bad guys now. <laughs> um, so he figures out a way, contacts them and figures out a way to go visit a Taliban commander and he's going to interview him for his paper. Sounds like such a wonderful idea, right? Well, it didn't end well. He gets captured, hence the name of the book, um, gets captured in the mountains between Afghanistan and Pakistan, which is actually not... Okay, technically there's a border there, but on the ground it's impossible to know what country you're in because it's all controlled by rebel groups and, and warring factions. So nobody actually controls the land. So he's stuck in this limbo between two countries, technically on the Pakistan side without a visa, and he's stuck in this mud hut for like 40 days, him and some locals that got captured. Um, and this Taliban commander is just questioning him and interrogating him throughout that whole time. And, and they're trying to get him to convert to Islam. And they, 
they don't beat him up or anything terribly, but the psychological toll is you can read it. It's almost like his journal of going through this and how it just gets, it's just so hard to handle this mentally, um, the ups and the downs and the stresses. And it gets really deep into what it's actually like to deal with a hostage situation and how complicated it is to try to get out of something like that. Um, eventually he's able to get out uh, safely, doesn't get harmed, and returns to a U.S. military base um, where the army you know, takes care of him and gets him out of the country. Um, and he said it was actually really, really hard to leave, which is a weird thing that happens in hostage situations, but he didn't actually really want to go back to the U.S. military base, even though it was, quote, safe. He just felt like he was so different from them even after only living in a Pakistani Taliban village for only 40 days, he felt already like he was an alien to his own people. Um, and it takes him years to work through that. Um, even when he writes the book, he, he's still trying to work through his identity and like who he is. And I would love to meet him today and see where he stands. Like, is he still, is he a Christian or is he, did, did he lose all of that? Is, how did he handle it psychologically? Where is he at dealing with, that trauma yeah it's it's kind of bizarre and it ends on kind of a sad note because you don't really know where where he ends up he's i forget i think he lives in new york city now um he wrote the book only two years after he was captured so we're not really sure like how that all ends but anyway interesting read definitely interesting read of the what happens to the human mind in such circumstances Mm -hmm. so why was it that he drove from Europe to there. Now, maybe this is a bit tangential to the main point, but I've got to <laughs> question this guy's approach. <laughs> yeah, he writes about that too. Like, he's a very interesting fella. He loves to go native or go local, is what he calls it. Like, he knows the language. So he would dress like them, eat like them, you know, could, I mean, speak at least some of the local dialects and things. Um, and that was just his style. So he's just like, oh, cool, look, let's drive to Afghanistan. And he had never been there. He had never really traveled in his life. I mean, he had come out of this really conservative, you know, pacifist group um, on the West Coast. And and that was his big foray into the world was to, to fly to Europe and then take a car all the way to Afghanistan. It's, to- it's totally, totally bizarre. And he actually writes another book about it, like back in the 80s, about what that experience was like. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Oh, and he said, he's, this is the part that really fascinated me, because he, the religious group he had come out of, the really conservative group he was used to being in as a Christian, was obviously like super pious and like do everything just right and had this, this zeal of, you know, living exactly like the Bible says. And he said because of his upbringing, he was able to identify better than he even thought with how the Taliban thinks because they apply that same religious fervor and zeal to their holy books, to the Quran, to the Hadith, to their religious um their religious traditions and he said it was kind of weird he could actually kind of identify what that was like because that's what he grew up in it's uh, yeah i wish he would unpack that a little more what he meant by all that Mm -hmm. he didn't include it in his books but it'd be fascinating if you could discuss this further with him in person absolutely so hey um Jerry Van Dyke, if you're listening to this, <laughs> <It's really huge. laughs> connect with me on Twitter. I really would love to pick his brain on more on his his background. 
Yeah, so Jaren, uh, okay, so I'm done with mine. Oh, um, that was Captive by Jerry Van Dyke, by the way. Um, but I'm really, really curious about your book um, by Joshua Harris, because I think everybody's read that book, it seems like, or something. Yeah, uh, this book that I'm about to talk about is very different from Jerry Van Dyke's book. <laughs> this book um, is by Joshua Harris, and if you grew up in American conservative Christianity or are surrounded by people of that demographic, you've probably heard of this book and know people who have taken it very seriously. It was written 22 years ago, just a couple years after Reagan and I were born. Reagan was three and I was two when it came out. But the ideas that this book promoted um, have continued for a long time. For the past two decades, people have taken the way of thinking that Joshua Harris promotes very seriously. So it's an older book, but it's still relevant. And this week, Joshua Harris announced that he's no longer a Christian. And last week, he announced that he is divorcing his wife. Which is very sad. Um, I'm sorry for him and his family, and yeah, I would say we should pray for them. It's uh, big things happening in his life. And of course, that's gotten a lot of attention on social media. So even this, though this book is kind of oldish, it's something people still care about, and it's still kind of relevant in conservative Christian culture. So... In case you don't know, I will give you a little bit of an introduction to what he says in I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And what year did you say? 1997. Okay. He was wow. 21 years old in 1997. He was 21 and wrote a book. Oh, my. Okay. He was 21 and wrote a book about relationships. Very interesting. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've read that book, by the way. <laughs> what I will do is... Um, I'm going to read the opening paragraphs of chapter one. It'll give you a very good feel of what this book is about. It was finally here, Anna's wedding day, the day she had dreamed about and planned for months. The small picturesque church was crowded with friends and family. Sunlight poured through the stained glass windows and the gentle music of a stringed quartet filled the air. Anna walked down the aisle toward David. Joy surged within her. This was the moment for which she had waited so long. He gently took her hand, and they turned toward the altar. But as the minister began to lead Anna and David through their vows, the unthinkable happened. A girl stood up in the middle of the congregation, walked quietly to the altar, and took David's other hand. Another girl approached and stood next to the first, followed by another. Soon, a chain of six girls stood by him as he repeated his vows to Anna. Anna felt her lip beginning to quiver as tears welled up in her eyes. Is this some kind of joke? She whispered to David. I'm, I'm sorry, Anna, he said, staring at the floor. Who are these girls, David? What's going on? She gasped. They're girls from my past, he answered sadly. Anna, they don't mean anything to me now, but I've given part of my heart to each of them. I thought your heart was mine, she said. 
It is, he pleaded. Everything that's left is yours. A tear rolled down Anna's cheek. Then she woke up. So this heart-wrenching story, of course, Joshua Harris includes to make a point. And the, po the point he's making is about dating. And basically what he's saying is that in the story, the character David had dated six girls before he found Anna, who became his wife. But through dating each of these six girls, he gave a piece of his heart to each of them. And these pieces of his heart can never be returned. So in some way, he was forever attached to these six girls who he would not marry. And thus, he could not give his whole self and his whole heart to Anna. So, of course, this is kind of a polemical attack, um, as you would suspect from the title of the book. I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It's an attack on dating. And he says, with dating, um, you're always giving your heart away to people and these people have no right to your heart and you have no business giving your heart away. So if dating inevitably leads to this kind of problem, dating should be done away with and is kind of unethical in Christian practice. Wow. I had forgotten he was that like, whoa, he was really straight up. I mean, that was the introduction, right? Yeah. That was the first paragraph of chapter one, right off the bat. He's like, he lays it out. <laughs> Absolutely wow. so. And, yeah, and he, he gives more nuance to that, but that, that's the basic point. Um, dating dating causes people emotional problems, which will continue with them throughout their marriage. And so if you want a good marriage, don't enter that marriage by means of dating. was not content only to demonize dating. Um, he provided some definition to courtship, which is what he saw as a good alternative to dating. And he says that courtship is a choice to not emotionally give away your heart piece by piece to many others through casual dating relationships. And instead, courtship is a choice to give your whole heart to your life partner. And it seems that what he's saying is that saving one's whole heart for one's future spouse can only be achieved by courting someone who you would um, seriously consider a candidate for a future marriage. Gothard, Bill Gothard on his website, saying something very similar to Joshua Harris says, A courtship should commence only when God has confirmed that this is the right time for a man to pursue marriage and that this woman could very likely be the helpmeet God has been preparing to be his wife. So they kind of present dating as a thing of fun and games and courtship as a serious thing. No dating until you are ready to get married and no dating until God has told you that this is probably the future person for you to marry. If you're not sure, I guess just wait until you're sure. If in doubt, Totally hold off. <laughs> no room for experiment. No room to be wrong. 
So Harris and IBLP2 wrote about dating as though it's a very individualized process where you ostracize your friends, ostracize your parents. It's basically a relationship between me and my girlfriend or boyfriend. In contrast, Harris is saying that the accountability of parents and mentors should be in place during the whole courtship process. And practically speaking, what they would propose is something that I think, Reagan, both you and I would be familiar with is in which the guy, instead of asking the girl, hey, do you want to date? Going to the dad first. Um, the dating process goes through the dad and is often mediated um, through the parents. Not saying that in a courtship ideal, the guy and the girl don't have direct person-to-person -person communication, but at least in the early stages, it's mediated through the parents, specifically the dad. And so in courtship, they're going to advocate for a lot of dating, spending time together in the context of family. And in the most extreme cases, we hear of chaperones. Send a sibling or a parent along in the backseat of the car. <laughs> Should we get into why this was appealing to Mennonites? Well, yeah, like, that is a question I've had. This book absolutely exploded across conservative Christianity, fundamentalism, Anabaptism, a bunch of different groups. Why? Like, did he just hit the timing perfectly to where culture was ready for this? Or, or what? Yeah, what's, what's going on? I think that was part of it. Um, so Joshua Harris and Bill Gothard, too, who was also an advocate of this, were both deeply involved in the homeschooling movement. Um, conservative Mennonites that we're familiar with got into homeschooling about the same time that conservative evangelicalism and Protestant fundamentalism also got into homeschooling. So there was a commonality between Mennonites and that crowd there. Also, I think we Mennonites share Protestant fundamentalism's concern for holiness and purity, righteousness, and intentional living in a way that avoids sin and pleases God. So with homeschooling being common, with the desire for righteousness in common, I think it wasn't a far step to have Mennonites also adopting these prophets of fundamentalism to adopt what they had to say about relationships and dating. Um... But I think it's kind of problematic. I think it's problematic that our crowd um, adopted the message of that crowd so wholeheartedly. Um, this idea of courtship was reactionary. It was a reaction to dating and what they saw were the problems of dating. But my question is, was conservative Anabaptist, I've heard some brethren people talking about this too. So I say Anabaptist, so I'm not limiting it just to Mennonites. Mennonites and Brethren. Was our kind of dating so infused with the same problems that came with the dating that Joshua Harris and his crowd observed and reacted to? And from what I can tell, talking to the older generation of Mennonites and Brethren, I think the kind of dating that happened in conservative Anabaptist circles prior to the advent of courtship ideals, that kind of dating didn't have the same problems that the dating had that Joshua Harris observed and reacted to. Some of the same flippancy and 
propensity towards immorality that they accused dating of having wasn't present in brethren and Mennonite dating practices. Maybe it was in isolated cases, but it definitely wasn't the norm. And so when we accepted courtship, we were accepting a solution to a problem that we didn't have. So in that way, courtship was a mismatch to our problems. Also, the courtship ideal was a mismatch to Anabaptist theology. Um, courtship was very individualistic, but it was kind of a rearticulated individualism in which the individual is the father, who is the sole arbitrator of what happens in his child's relationships. So it's a patriarchal individualism in which there's one individual in each family who is the determiner of what's right and wrong and the truth, and that individual is the father. Um, in an ideal Anabaptist theology, we aren't individualistic. We're more communitarian, where we are concerned for what's the good of the whole, what's the good of the community. Um, and of course, we respect our fathers, and maybe some ways we are patriarchal. But to give the sole authority of determination of what's right and wrong and what's good for personal relationships, um, we wouldn't ideally just hand off to the father to arbitrate. Wow. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that mindset is so prevalent. Or maybe not as much now as it used to be when this book was super popular, which I looked it up, well over a million copies sold. By 2001, it already sold over 700,000 copies in the first four years incredible that's quite an accomplishment for a 21 year old <laughs> i mean he, he got rich off of it i mean for sure but and so that mindset sweeping through anabaptism yeah i still i still see a lot of pieces of that around us and you know you've heard me express some kind of but discomfort discomfort with what it's saying i have discomfort with it and Maybe it's not a big deal. It kind of worked. People have adopted these practices often, and the world goes on. People get married. Good things have happened. Maybe this book has been helpful to some people. But I would be concerned that it is addressing a problem we didn't have, usually. And also, it's driven by fear. Um, Joshua Harris saw possible problems with dating, and in part, he was scared of what could possibly go wrong. And so rather than trusting in God's grace and allowing for the possibility of failure or things not going quite perfectly, not allowing for things to get messy, he created boundaries and rules. Um, what if we would acknowledge our fallenness and acknowledge the possibility that things will go wrong, but rather than living in fear of the future, continuing and trusting God's grace. That type of group, that mindset uh, that this is coming from, hasn't that been something that's kind of dictated how they how they walk? The fear of what could be and like let's keep everything just so and you know, fundamentalism basically. Right. Perhaps your question, an answer to your question could be measured qualitatively and quantitatively, which I'm not equipped to answer. But from superficial observation, I'd say maybe, yes, there has been too much fear and fundamentalism, which has driven the way we've interacted with each other in the outside world. Yeah, I mean, I see it a lot, it seems like. And it's had what has become of it. Bill Gothard, of course, had his downfall a couple years ago, and now 
Joshua Harris has come out this week and is divorcing his wife and moving away from Christianity. So some of the leaders in this movement have apostatized or otherwise um, fallen, which is sad. It's sad to see. We should pray for them and their families. Um, but a possible consequence might be good. I think more people are being are being forced to question um, the ideas and practices that these men have promoted over the last several decades. So maybe some of our concerns are concerns that other people share, and there will be a healthier resolution come to. And hopefully that process is being started. Okay, so that is all I have to say uh, about I Kissed Dating Goodbye by Joshua Harris. Regan, why don't you say the name of your book again so people can look it up for themselves? Yeah, sure. It's by Jerry Van Dyke, and the name of the book is Captive. Okay. Well, thank you for talking about your book, Regan. This has been fun. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Assuming you are there. (laughs) We're glad that we have an audience. Um... Maybe we should tell them they should follow us on Twitter and Goodreads if they want to stay in touch. Yes, follow us on Twitter and on Goodreads. If you want to find me on Goodreads, look for Jaron Miller. Mm-hmm. And same with me, Reagan Schrock on both Twitter and Goodreads. Because if you have questions or if you'd like to keep up with what what we're reading, please do. Leave us comments on the things that we post. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, we will see you in our next podcast. Yes. You will hear from us in our next podcast. Good correction. (laughs) All right.